book, it's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, Paul, last week, we looked at verses 18 through 32 of chapter 1, and how Paul pointed out that those who reject the truth about God, they know who God is, he says, but they reject the truth about God. And, and what that leads to, and it leads to all kinds of, of sexual perversions. It leads to uh, gossip and, and unrighteousness and covetousness and just sin after sin after sin after sin. And Paul uh, is obviously talking to uh, lost people in that chapter. He's talking to pagan people because he says, although they knew God, they refused to acknowledge him as God. Now, now that is a very telling thing about the nature of our sin that, you know, we uh, in the reformed community, we talk about the depravity, the total depravity of man, that we are desperately wicked to the very core of who we are. Doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be, but it means that every aspect of our lives is sinful. The most eloquent prayer we pray is filled with sin. The most wonderful sermon I may ever preach is filled with sin. Everything we do is filled with sin. And and so but but here we see the depths of our total depravity there in chapter 1 of how they said, God, we know who you are. We see you there, but we're going to ignore you. We don't care what you say. And so they go their own way. And God gave them up and said, you want to go your own way? Go your own way. So while Paul here is admonishing uh, the lost about their condition and about the fact that they have ignored God and that they have fallen to the depths of this depravity, the religious people, the Jews are over here saying, good for you, Paul. Yeah, you get them. Amen, brother Paul. You know, it reminds me of, of if, if any of you know who Paul Washer is. He has a, a famous sermon, a beautiful sermon, where he is preaching to a whole room full of young people. And, and he is admonishing sin and telling them how evil sin is and how they need to live for God, how they need to be holy and they need to stop doing this. this. And they're just applauding. I mean, just erupts in, la in, in, in applause for him. And he says, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's look at now in chapter two. I think he's talking to the Jew. But I think in a broader context those who are religious, because see, they're over here and, and, and they're applauding. And Paul says, I don't know why you're applauding. I'm talking about you in verse one. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, old man. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. In spite of all that Paul has just spread out before us of the universal rejection of, of God's manifest self-revelation, the sins that people practice are worthy of death. They are worthy of death. And, and, and we cannot stand over here and, and see Paul. He could be talking to that church member. He could be talking to that deacon, to that elder, to that pastor that's over here saying, 
I am so glad that I'm not like those people. I am so glad that I don't engage in, in, in all of these perverse things that they do. And Paul says, really? But do you not? Do you not practice the same things? He, he, here Paul is talking about the sin of hypocrisy. Uh, you know, the, the morally upright looking down on the, on the one in the gutter. Uh, I, I remember one time I heard about a preacher who walked down the street and he looked down and he saw the drunk lying there in the gutter. And he said, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And that should be our attitude, knowing that at any moment that, that all the perverse sins and things that Paul talked about in chapter 1, every one of us are capable of. All of us. There's none of us above this. And so Paul here, he, he, he's chastening his fellow Jews for their judgmental attitude towards the Gentiles when they were doing the very same things that they condemned in the Gentiles. Now, we, we, we must understand something here. And I want to make sure we're still on this because today th this biblical doctrine has just been skewed beyond biblical uh, accuracy. And it is this right here. You and I are called to judge. Okay. You know that, right? Don't let anybody tell you, you can't judge me because you can. As a matter of fact, you have an obligation to judge me. Because as I stand up here and I pastor and I preach and I teach and I do all these things and you look at my life and you should be able to say, now there's a part of his life right there that is, that is inherently sinful and he must be confronted with it. You owe that to me to do that, by the way, if you love me, but you are obligated to do that. And so Paul, don't get the idea here that Paul is saying don't judge. What he's saying is, if you are involved in the same sin that you see in me, take care of yours and then come see me. That's what Jesus, when Jesus said, uh, if, if you're going to judge someone, he said, remove the two before from your own eye. Then you'll see to be able to, re to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. But notice what he said there. He said, first, remove the two before. In other words, first, take care of your sin. Then, he said, you can go and take care of theirs. See what he's saying? So he's not telling us not to judge. So don't get the idea what Paul here is talking about hypocritical judgment, about how I judge you when I am doing exactly the same thing that he says there. You know, in Matthew 5, 20, <clears throat> Jesus said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will also likewise perish. And when we look at what kind of righteousness did the scribes and Pharisees have, they had a, a self-righteousness. They, they walked around. They were morally upright people. They went to church every Sunday. Uh, they went to church every time the doors were open. They carried the latest study Bible. Uh, they, they were called on to pray, and they prayed. They did all these things, but it was all outward appearance. Jesus even told them at one point, he said, you know, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. The outside is all bright and white, but the inside is full of dead men's bones. And so he says, except your righteousness exceeds theirs, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So when we judge uh, others hypocritically, Paul says, we indeed condemn ourselves. Look at verse 2 and 3. <clears throat> 
For we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? I mean, think about this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that when you see a sin in me and, you're con and you are guilty of living in the same sinful condition and you point it out in me, Paul says, don't you understand? He said, do you think that God's going to judge that one for their sin and just let you go? He's pointing out the absurdity of their thinking process here. And, and so and now we have to remember everything that Paul is doing here in the first three chapters of Romans. Okay. Paul is beating us down. He is, wants me to see that I am not good. That in me dwells nothing good at all and nothing in you. Paul wants me to see that I am inherently sinful. That there is none that does good. We're going to see when we get to Romans chapter 3. There is none who does good. There is none that seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you see, Paul's leading up to something. We must keep that in mind, that he's leading up to something. Because the good news, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ came to do, it's only good news when you know what the bad news is. And so this is where Paul is leading. And Paul, is, he's leaving no stone unturned. You see, Paul is going to, to, to condemn everybody, the entire human race. You're all under sin. You all deserve the wrath of God. You all deserve to die. But that's the important word to remember that we're going to get to later on. We're going to get to that all important word. You deserve the wrath of God. But. Okay, so just hold on, and in a few weeks, maybe a few weeks, we will get there. But I believe that if we believe that God is His judge and we use His law to make judgments, we admit that we are liable to the judgment also. And when we judge others for their sins, we condemn ourselves when we do the very same things. So it's easier, and, and I have found it's a whole lot easier to see your sin than it is to see mine. Did you know that? You find the same thing, it's a lot easier to see your sin than it is to see mine. <laughs> Y'all didn't get that, did you? Anyway. But Paul says, when you look at others and you see this sinful condition in their lives, you know, Jesus confronted the Pharisees the religious people, they were outwardly religious, but their hearts were dead. Their hearts were cold towards God. They did all the right things outwardly. And they said, well, I've never committed adultery. And Jesus said, have you ever looked at a woman to lust after her in your heart? Then you're guilty. Ladies, that applies to you too as far for towards men. But that's what is there anybody not guilty of that? No, none of us. He said, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, Have you ever been angry with someone? Then you're guilty of murder. You see, there's there's no way. That's why Paul twice we have heard him say, There is no excuse. None. We are without it. 
There is no excuse. So we, most, we, we all must understand that we are sinful creatures. Look at verse 4 and 5. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. A dangerous thing is to presume upon the grace of God. I have personally heard a church member, not here, but I've heard a church member say these words right here. I know this is wrong, but I know God will forgive me. That is presuming upon the grace of God. And I want to tell you, number one, that you know what that is? That is spitting in the face of God. That is presuming. And Paul says here, uh, you know, many today preach that God is too loving. He's too kind. He's uh, to, to, to judge us for our sins. And I want to tell you, this is a God that is not found in the Bible. Is God loving? Yes, He is. Is He patient? Yes, He is. Is He kind? Yes, He is. But we must never, ever mistake God's patience for indifference. That's when we become in a very dangerous place right there. So Paul says, uh, when Paul says that God's kindness and patience lead to repentance, we see that God's patience is justice postponed, not justice forgotten. And, and Paul says that God's patience is intended to lead us to repentance. So I, I, I look at my life and, and I look at someone else and, and I just look at sin in general. And we see, have you ever wondered, why does God allow these certain things in our world to continue to go on? Lord, when are you going to do something? God, when are you going to put a stop to this? And we get to thinking, oh, God doesn't care. And that's what the world thinks. You know, we were talking in Sunday school this morning. We got into a discussion about abortion. And to the world, God doesn't care because he doesn't do anything. Is that true? No. See, that's it. They're, they're doing exactly what Paul's talking about here. They don't understand about the patience of God. Well, that, that, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the patience of God, but this world, it, everything that this world does, they think, well, God doesn't care if he's even there at all. He continues to let us go on in our sin. And I have found even believers do this very same thing. We can fall into some sin and God doesn't do anything. We say, oh, well, God's okay with it, so I'll keep doing this. And Paul says, you better be careful because as, as Paul Washer also said, he said, right now God is holding up two hands. With one, he's motioning men to come to him, and with one, he's holding back his wrath. But one of these days, he's going to drop both hands. Or as Adrian Rogers used to say, <clears throat> one of these days, the dam of God's grace is going to break. And the floodwaters of his judgment will once again cover this earth. And this is what Paul says. He says, uh, because of your hard and impenitent hearts there in verse 5, they are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's ju righteous judgment is revealed. God's patience 
is wrath restrained and his patience gives time to repent. But the unrepentant, they do face God's wrath. Uh, his patience, rightly understood, should lead us to repentance. And it is urgent for the day of his wrath will come. It, it reminds us of, of the people of Noah's day. <clears throat> It says that the thoughts and intents of men's hearts was only evil continually. Sound like any place you know? Nothing's changed. So God calls Noah to build this ark because he's going to send a flood. And so for 120 years... Noah's working on this, and it called Noah a preacher of righteousness is what Peter calls him in 1 Peter. So we know that Noah was preaching the gospel while he was building this ark. You people better repent. You people better get ready because the judgment of God is going to come. And they laughed at him. They mocked him. They ignored him. They did all of this thing just like they do today. But you know what it says? It says that then one day they knew not, and the flood came. They knew not. It was a willful ignorance. You ever, <laughs> I always think about, you know, every time somebody, you know, and, and I understand they're trying to be helpful and all this. They say, you know, every time God closes one door, he opens another. The people of Noah's day would argue with that. Because it says when God shut the door to the ark and the people were left. And so we need to understand that for 120 years, the people ignored Noah. And I want to tell you something for at least over 2000 years, we know of the world has ignored Christ. They have, they have pushed him aside. Uh, the, his name has become uh, a curse word, but one day the wrath will come. And if we do not repent, we store up, wrath for ourselves and this is what Paul is he's warning here he's saying he, he's trying to call us to repentance and call the world to repentance and he's calling the right he, he specifically we must understand who he's talking to here he's talking to the morally upright religious church member and he's saying do you not understand? Do you presume on the kindness and the patience of God? Do you presume on God's graces? Do you say, you know what? I'm a saved person. I'm already forgiven so I can go ahead and do this. If you can ever do that, I want to tell you, you have no concept of grace. None. We have no idea what it means. So we must repent. This is what Paul says. He, he, he says, look, you are, may be a, a, a lost person that engages in perverse sexual acts, who, who engages in all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and murder and malice and deceit and gossip and all these kind of things. Uh, you know, and Paul says, but wait a minute, you religious people, you're no different. You're no better off. Those of you who are only outwardly religious. And you remember the Jews now, they, and Paul's going to confront them about this later on. He, they say, well, you don't understand, Paul. We, we're children of Abraham. We're fine. <laughs> we're God's chosen people. We're all good. And Paul says, no, you're not. And to me, the thing is that we can sit here in this church and we can say, hey, I'm part of God's elect. It's all good. We're okay. And Paul says, no, you're not. No, you're not. 
God's judgment will be just and it will be impartial. Look at verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. <clears throat> we must understand what Paul is not saying here as much as we understand what he is saying. Okay, We are not saved by our works. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, and that is how we are saved. But we are not, as, as the Apostle James tells us in his book, we are, Paul says that we are saved by faith alone. And that's true. But a faith that saves alone is never alone. I love that saying. A faith that saves alone is never alone. We are not saved by our works. We are saved for our works. We are saved to do good works. And so this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we are justified by faith, but that God will judge our works, our deeds, our words, our thoughts, because our works and our words and our thoughts all flow from our hearts. I have heard many, many times people tell me, you know, the evidence that someone is saved is that they will do this or they will stop doing that. That's not the evidence. Do you know what the evidence is of a truly saved heart? It'll be a changed heart. Once it was a heart of stone, now it's a heart of flesh. Once you were dead, now you're alive. Complete transformation takes place. And part of that is that what flows from my heart determines what's in my heart. As Journey Verda McGee used to say, if you ever want to know what's in a man, just shake him up and see what comes out. Jesus said out of the heart proceeds murders and adulteries and thefts. And Paul here is saying, look, you, th you, you who are religious, you claim that you have belong to God. But is the, is the fruit of repentance evident in your life? It's so important. Do you hear me as your pastor talk about how much we must know sound biblical doctrine, the true teachings of the Bible, the true teachings of who Christ is, the true teaching of who God is and what he's done. And this is so important important because what you believe determines how you live. It's just simple as that. What you believe will determine how you live your life. For instance, if I believe that, that, that money is plentiful, I'll go out and just spend all I want. <laughs> Y'all laughed when I said that. But if, you know, if I believe, you know, I work hard for my money and it's hard to come by, I'm going to be kind of miserly with it. Because you see, what you believe determines what you do. And it's the same way in the Christian life. And Paul says, look, you say you believe in God. You say that you trust Jesus Christ. But do your works bear that out? Does your everyday life, what you think about, does that, does that bear you out? Uh, I think we might have talked about this last week. I'm going to bring it up again. Uh, 
Derek Thomas in his, his teaching on Romans chapter 8, he says something in that uh, study that has stuck with me and I guess will stick with me for the rest of my life. Because I, I had to listen to it and it took me forever to figure out what he was saying right here. And it was this right here. What do you think about when you don't think about anything at all? What is, what, is the, uh, what is the default thoughts that come to your mind when you don't think about anything at all? And his point was, to the one who is a true believer in Jesus Christ, who has truly repented of their sin, who has truly been saved, it's naturally going to be God. That's going to be because the Holy Spirit will bring that to your mind. And so Paul here, he's not just talking about the, the, the physical works that we do, but also about the things that we say, the word, the thoughts that we think. And, and you need to understand that your thoughts, that God hears them as plain as you hear my voice right now. I may not know your thoughts. I may not know your heart. But God does. And one day it says he will judge us for that. I will be judged. He's going to say, you stood and you preached all these sermons. But why did you do it? He said, You're going, you darkened the door of a church every Sunday and you sat in a pew. But why did you go? Did you come to worship? Did you come because of me? Did you come because of this or that? Whatever it is. So, so it's important that what we believe, because what we believe determines how we live. And verses 7 through 10, they just elaborate on verse 6. Uh, you know, the two final destinies of mankind are eternal life or wrath and fury. That's the only two places to go, by the way. You know, uh, you, you realize there are only two people on earth. Only two people. The saved and the lost, the dead and the alive, the elect and the non-elect. They're the only two people that exist. And so there are only two places. And the basis on which this separation is to be made will be the combination of what we seek and what we do. Let me ask you a question this morning. Search your hearts. You don't have to tell me, but ask yourself this question. What do you love? What do you truly love? What do you treasure in, the, in your life? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What is it that you treasure? Do you treasure God and Christ? Do you treasure this one who, who, who gave his life for us on the Calvary's cross? Do you treasure him in your life? Then the life you live, the thoughts you think will all be stem from what you believe about that. All of it will. But judgment by works is not threatening if we truly love God. You know, this morning in Sunday school, we've been doing a study on worship. And we were talking this morning about laying the foundation. And Paul, about how he says that once the foundation is laid, we've got to be careful what we build on that foundation. Because we can build with, with uh, um, gold and silver and precious stones. Or we can build with wood, hay, and stubble. And what happens to wood, hay, and stubble when it goes through the fire? 
poof, like a, like a puff of smoke. What happens to the, to the gold and the precious stones? They come out refined through the fire. And so this is what Paul is talking about here, the same thing that he talks about in 1 Corinthians when he talks about building upon it because it's one day going to go through the fire. And we need to know that God notices every loving act that is born of faith. Everything we should do should be of faith. So when he says here, you are without excuse you who judge another if you're doing the same thing he said because don't think that because you're a church member don't think because you carry a bible don't think that because you have uh, attended conferences and, and listened to preaching that you're going to escape the judgment of God because he's going to judge your deeds now I, I do want to point out here because this is so very important to those who are saved God is not going to judge you for your sin that's a, that's a settled issue he's going to judge us for our works what I've done since I've been saved and so Paul says when you did it uh, that needs to understand that judgment looms for those who are mentioned in verse 8 are we self-seeking do I stand up here and preach because I love to hear the sound of my voice? Do I stand up here and preach because people say, hey, you're a great preacher? Paul says, if that's why I'm doing it, one day it's going to go through the fire. And you know what's going to happen to that? It's going to be a puff of smoke just gone. Or do I stand up here and do I preach because I, I, I long to see people saved. I long to, for you to hear and obey biblical truth. Are we self-seeking or are we trying to please God? Who do I want to please? Paul's objective is to show that judgment is always in terms of works. You see, the lost, they're going to be judged according to their works also because their works were evil. Their deeds were evil. Because their hearts were evil. But we as believers, it should not be the same. And by that, he is going to prove that there is none righteous. Not one. There is none who does good, but that all are under condemnation because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you look at your life and, and, and let me ask you this. When you look at your life, do a self-examination, which, by the way, you should do on a very regular basis. Do you come away and think to yourself, I don't know why God even lets me live? Because my sins that I commit are more than the sins I don't. Do you see yourself in a position, you know, the great apostle Paul, he referred to himself as the chief of sinners. You know, when we get to chapter seven, we're going to see that Paul had a real battle there. He said, you know, the sins I don't want to commit, that's what I do. The ones I do, the, the, the things I want to do that are good, I can't find any way to do it. Paul says, he, he comes to the end of it and he says something that all of us need to say. We need to say, oh Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thank God, he says, for Jesus Christ. And then he goes in. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in 
Christ Jesus. But that condemnation, we need to understand, is only found in Christ. <clears throat> so unless we have some evidence of a new life within us, we are in a most dangerous place. You say that you're saved. You say that you believe in Jesus Christ. You say that you follow Christ. But does the life you live, do the thoughts you think, do the books you read, do the shows you watch, do they all bear this out? What do you love? What is in your heart? This is what Paul says. This will all be revealed. <coughs> I can promise you that when Lazarus lay there in that tomb and he didn't move, you could go up and, and he wouldn't have even flinched. You could tickle him and he wouldn't have moved. But when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. You know what Lazarus did? He got up and he walked. You know what kind of people walk? Live people. People that have life in them. Lazarus was breathing because people who have life in them do that. And this is what Paul's saying if, is there evidence of new life in your life? Is there, do, do you have a new heart with new affections? Do you have a, a, a love for Christ? Is your treasure found in Him and Him alone? Because this will show in what you do. And we need to understand God's not going to show any partiality. He shows no favoritism. You know, He, he said to His disciples... And, and, you know, there are many things I'm finding, especially in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, that, that I'm, I'm finding are, are making more and more sense to me. Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some think you're the prophet. But then he asked a very pointed question, by the way, that he asked to every one of us. But who do you say that I am? And Peter said... You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He made an open confession, and Jesus said, Peter, you're exactly right. My father told you this. And then it wasn't long after that, Jesus said, Now, I'm going down to Jerusalem. When I get there, I'm going to be turned over to the religious people. They're going to beat me. They're going to do all this. They're going to crucify me, but I'm going to raise them to death. Now, you know, every time Jesus told them this story or, or what was going to happen, they never heard the last part about I'm going to rise from the dead. But Peter stand up. He said, no, Lord, this ain't going to happen. I'm not going to let this guy. I am not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let anybody hurt you. Lord, even if you die, I'll die with you. And you know what he did? Now, this is the same Peter that said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon Peter, you know this because God the Father told you. He's going to turn right around, look at Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. You see, he wasn't afraid to point out to his own where they were. And what they were doing. And we need to understand. As a matter of fact, I would even go so far to tell you folks that I believe that the sin of God's people is a greater burden on the heart of God than the lost is. Because we should know better. Because we look and we say, I believe Christ died for me. I believe that the Son of God gave His life and He, he bore my sins on the cross. And so when I sin, I'm saying, I believe that, but I don't really care. 
You see that? So Paul says he's not going to show any partiality. So what will we do? What will we do? We need to understand, number one, that without Christ, there is no hope. None. There's nowhere to go. Again, Jesus said to the disciples when he spoke to the crowds and he, he preached to them a message they didn't like and they went away. And he said to the disciples, are you going to go too? And they said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Folks, let me ask you something. If you reject the, uh, the, the, the justification by faith in Christ alone, where is she going to go? Where are you going to go? What will we do? We need to understand that without him, there is no hope. We must not give simple lip service to Christ. <clears throat> Jesus, one point said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. says there is no partiality that God will judge. And what Paul wants me to know is, number one, that I am a sinner. Without Christ, there is no hope. There's nowhere for me to go. But if I say, as these in chapter 2 were saying, well, Paul, we're not like those other people. We're different. Paul says, prove it. Your works will prove that. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Folks, we need to understand this morning, you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I have repented of my sin, and I have trusted in Christ. But here's the thing, to truly do that will cost you something. And I'm going to tell you exactly what it will cost you. You ready? Everything. It will cost you everything, including your life. And Jesus says, look, and, and you need to understand in those days when Jesus said, take up your cross, that was one of the most offensive things he could have said to them. Because only criminals were crucified. And so we need to understand that what Paul's saying here in chapter two, he's saying, look, you old man, you have no excuse. You claim to know Christ. You claim to be religious. You claim to be morally upright. But yet you're doing the same thing that these lost people are doing. And God's not going to let that go. But his point that he's trying to make is, there but for the grace of God go we. And we all need God's righteousness that's only found in Christ. Our righteousness is no good. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. You see, only that which is done for Christ, through Christ, and in Christ will last. That's it. So where are we? Where do we find ourselves? <clears throat> do we find ourselves saying, oh, I thank you, God. You know, like the Pharisee and the publican that went up and the publican looked around. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. 
I especially thank you that I'm not like that old filthy publican over there. Do we look at people like that? Or are we like the publican who, who wouldn't even look up and he just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you see yourself in need of a righteousness other than your own? Do you see yourself in need of grace and peace that only comes from God? Do you see yourself in need of someone to stand between you and the judgment of God, the, the, the wrath of God, and that someone is only the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's it? It's only Him. And this is what Paul wants us to see, that we're sinners in need of someone to help us, to come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, oh God, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you are a patient and a loving God. But Father, help us this morning to understand that your patience will soon wear out. Father, help us to see that the only hope for us is Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. That Jesus, Father, bore the sin of His people. And Father, that if we are going to walk with Him, we must take up our cross. We must die to ourselves. We must have new affections, new loves. May our treasure be found in Christ and Christ alone. Father, help us to see the depths and the depravity of our sin. Father, so that we may better appreciate the glorious good news of the gospel. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Turn to page 449, To God Be the Glory.